Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. 16 and 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, three things have to happen. And they have to happen in this order. I'm going to do some teaching along with preaching today. But watch the order that Jesus subscribes to his disciples. He must deny himself. He must take up his cross. And he must follow me. Whosoever will save his life will lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. He's not talking about death here. He's talking about the way you live. Christianity is not meant to be a religion. It is meant to be a relationship. A relationship. That's why we have prayer meetings. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have Celebrate Recovery. Man, you guys got something going every night of the week. It's a way of life. We're practicing Christians. It's not just a Sunday morning religion. For what is a man profited if you would gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man, here's a follow-up question, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And today I want to preach to you on this subject, the worth of one soul. The worth of one soul. God bless you. You may be seated. The worth of one soul. Let's begin. A little bit of teaching first. Let's begin with this. What is a soul? What is a soul? We sang songs today about our soul. I've chosen this message, God's laid this message on my heart, but we need to know what a soul is before we talk about the worth of it. The soul is the eternal you. It's the eternal you. The body and the spirit of a man are shared with the soul of a man. I'm speaking of mankind. Have you ever done this? Have you ever looked in a mirror in the morning and said, Is that really me? Really? I didn't, that's not the way I perceive myself. And is that really me? You know what that is? That's your soul speaking. Because it's not really you. What we see of each other here this morning, that's just a shell, it's just a veil, it's just a covering for life that is in you, the spirit of life. And your soul. Genesis 2 and 7. In the creation, God said, he formed a man of the dust of the ground. In Genesis 2, 7, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's where life came from. It came from God through your nose. And at the same time, he became a living soul. So what is the soul? It's you 
that lives forever. You that lives forever. There is a spot inside of you that God created that he did not fill. And people are trying to fill something inside of their lives all the time. Then there's lots of things they try. They can try alcohol. I want to get happy or I, I want to escape my problems. And so they get drunk. There are drugs. There are relationships. Sports. Movies. Music. Anything to bring you some relief, some happiness, because something is missing inside of you. And when you try all of those things and they fail to produce the results that you want, you become discouraged. You can even become depressed. You can even become suicidal because you haven't found anything that can satisfy that hole in your soul, that hole in your life that only God can fill. Do you know why people worship at football games and clap and shout and scream and all that and act like we do in a worship service? Because they're trying to fill something that's lacking in their soul. We are born to worship. We are born to worship. That's when we feel our best in a worship service, right? I mean, when we start singing those songs and the, and the presence of God comes on us and, and we're singing not just words on a screen, but we're expressing our love toward God. Something comes over us and fills us and satisfies us because in his presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures. Not temporary pleasures, pleasures forever because the soul can be satisfied. It can be satisfied. All souls belong to God. Oh no, 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 no. Only the people that give their lives to God belong to God. You are incorrect. Ezekiel 18 and four says, behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father and the soul of the son is mine. And the soul that sins, it shall die. Well, that's pretty obvious, pastor. Everybody's dying. He's not talking about a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual separation from God for eternity. And every soul belongs to God. <clears throat> That's why the scripture says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is going to happen because all souls belong to God. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. When. Isaiah 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, and his ear is not heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and, and your sins have hid his face from you, and he won't hear, and your hands are defiled with blood, 
your fingers with iniquity, your lips spoken lies, your tongue muttered perverseness. That's what separates us from God. Our sins. And we're sinning against God and against our soul. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. But every sin is not just against God. It's against yourself. It's even against those around you. It has a ripple effect throughout your entire family. That's why he brings up the term iniquities. Iniquities are practiced sins that people have passed on to each other through generations. It can be stopped. But it has already been learned. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to have to choose a master. Well, look at this here. In, in Matthew, I'm skipping here just a little bit. I know I'm messing the guy up in the sound booth. But Matthew 6 and 24 says, no man can serve two masters. He'll love the one and hate the other. Isn't that true? How many of you have ever seen the news? People that are not Christians hate Christians. We don't want your God in our school. We don't want him in the courthouse. We don't want him in our society at all. They're God haters. They're God haters. We hate Satan. We don't hate people. I remember our Savior saying, forgive them, they know not what they do. I think a lot of them don't know what they're doing. You don't know who you're messing with here. They don't know. We need to hate sin and we need to hate its master, but we don't need to hate people. But you're either going to get on one side of the fence or the other. You're going to make a choice for sin or for God. It's one or the other. And we are going to be accountable for the decisions that we make with our soul. Now, there are two kinds of of death. Two kinds of death. First of all, there's the physical. Hebrews 9 and 27 says, it is appointed unto a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Now, we know that. We know that we're going to die physically. But did you know that it's possible to die spiritually, eternally, Here's one example. I could give you many, but I'm just for the sake of discussion this morning. Revelations chapter 20 and 14 says, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. We all get the first one, but we certainly don't want the second one. It also talks about this concerning the church over such the second death will have no power. So you're going to die physically. You don't have a choice about that. And, and you are going to be judged. You don't have a choice about that either. But you do have a choice as to which judgment you'll face. Because there are two judgments as well. To go along with these two deaths. Let me show you the judgment of the church. The bride. Of course, we know that after the book of Acts, containing the plan of salvation and numerous experiences as to how to be saved, 
We read the epistles beginning with the Romans, Corinthians, etc., telling us how to be saved and stay saved. 1 Corinthians 3 and 12 talks about the judgment of the church and says, now if any man builds upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereon, he will receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he will suffer a loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So the church will go through a judgment of fire in which all of the chaff will be burnt off and what remains will be rewarded. It is not a judgment to determine where you're going to spend your eternity. It is a judgment that brings you reward and the burning of chaff, things that weren't done for Christ, are burnt away. But the rest are talked about in Revelations chapter 20. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on the throne whose face the earth and heaven fled away, there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is where the second death resides. The residents reside. I have something for you to consider today. Did you notice here in the passage that I just read you that the judgment came from the books. The books were opened in 12. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Again, let me introduce you to the Bible. 66 books by which we will be judged. So well, now hold on, pastor. What about those people in Africa? What about these third world countries? Let me tell you something. Don't worry about Africa and the third world countries. Worry about your soul and all the souls that you can affect around you that have the word of God available to them in this country. Those that still have a conscience, basically knowing right from wrong, which is a part of the word of God already put in their brain. I didn't need to know the 10 commandments to know that I shouldn't lie. Where did I get that from? I got it from a conscience. The word only confirmed my conscience. And when I did wrong, I felt bad. God put that in every one of us. And that goes across the whole universe. Whether you're an African or not, doesn't matter. But we need to be concerned about what we can do in our country with the word of God. Because this is what they're going to be judged by. And if you don't crack a book, you're going to have a hard time passing tests. And if you want to graduate from life 
into eternity. You better study the book. You better know what God requires, what God is asking of you. Get in the book. Go back to school. Because the tests are coming. Well, I didn't have a chance to study. Too bad for you. Then you fail. Then you suffer. I remember when I, when I first came into this truth and I saw this word of God that, that I had read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John about and wanted to blame a previous church and a previous pastor. Why didn't he preach the truth? And you know what the Lord said to me? You had a Bible. You were without excuse. Don't put your faith in men. That's another reason you need to bring your Bible to church. Just because Brother Kylie says it. You need to see what Brother Kylie's saying. Is that in the book, Brother Kylie? Where's the chapter, line, and verse for what you're saying? Check it out. Check it out. Know what the Word of God has to say. Because your soul is on the line. I, I, I'm just going to say it today, folks. We are involved in something that is more important than economics. More important than terrorism. More important than global warming. More important than species dying off, animals that... We're involved in people's eternal souls. We have a message that can prepare them to meet the Lord so that it doesn't come down to depart from me, you weren't worker of iniquity. I never knew you. We can introduce them. We can give them an opportunity because their soul is worth more than all the money they possess, the homes they have, the cars they drive, the clothes they wear, that they're giving in exchange for their souls. I'm reaching out for souls today. I'm trying to express to you how important what we're doing is and letting you know that the person that lives next to you has an eternal soul and he will spend eternity somewhere and you may be his only hope, his only opportunity. I'm reaching for souls from a pulpit today Pulling people from a pit. That's why it's called a pulpit. You've got a pulpit too. You've got a message too. You've got a testimony too. And souls are waiting for the message that you possess. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with this. So now that I've tried to explain to you what a soul is and, and how important your soul is and encouraged you not to exchange things of the world for eternal things because of your soul, let me tell you the worth of a soul. Romans chapter five and verse eight. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath 
through him. The value, the value of one soul. See, here's, here's where I think we make our mistake. We, our, our horizons are too broad. We are not focused. Well, Brother Kylie, there's six billion people in the world. We're not going to reach them all. You're right. We're not going to reach them all. But can you reach one? Because this is what I believe. I believe Jesus died for one sinner. One. Get rid of this broad idea of six billion people. One, one person. Stand up, Jay. I wish, just stay right there. I wish that Jesus and you could have a face-to-face today. And I'm gonna try and demonstrate what I think Jesus would like to say to every individual in the sanctuary today. So you just listen, okay, while I talk to Jay. Jay, I want you to know that I created the entire earth for your pleasure. I want you to enjoy it. I also want you to know, Jay, that I gave you life And it's my goal for you and I to spend eternity together because I love you. Jay, I went to a cross and I shed my blood and I gave my life for you. I will never forget you. I have you engraven on the palms of my hands. I love you and I want you to spend eternity with me. Thank you. I wish you could have an eye-to-eye, face-to-face with Jesus, just like that, because that's how much he values your soul. Your soul. You're that important. And you know when he died for your sins? Not when you were a born-again Christian. When you were a sinner, he saw you from Calvary. What keeps him on the cross? We read it today in our bread during prayer, didn't we? Come down, we'll believe you. Read the other accounts. He could have called legions of angels to deliver himself. What kept him on the cross? You. You kept him there. Your sins, your hope of eternal life, your soul was in the balance. That's what kept him on the cross. That's why he didn't open his mouth. That's why he allowed himself to be beaten. That's why he allowed himself to be nailed. That's why he allowed himself to be pierced. Because you're worth it. You're worth it. And one soul is worth more than all of his creation to him. One. One soul. See, Jesus has the ability that we don't to see farther than we see. When I read today that 27th chapter of Matthew and I saw what they put him through, what he endured and took it personally, it should bring tears to your eyes. Something should be happening to us when we see how much God values our soul. Our soul. All that he lost. Where, 
Where are your con- where are your converts, Jesus? Where are your angels? You're all alone. I want you to know how lonely he felt on that cross. How would you feel if you were him? All the healings that you've done, all the miracles, all the teaching and preaching, the three-year Bible college that you've just completed with 12 disciples and all of them forsook you. You're on a cross and you don't feel any presence of God as a man. You even cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was he forsaken? No, but he felt like he was. Why do you go through all of this? Because I care for your soul. And I need to experience everything that you're experiencing as a human being and more. The next time you think that God's forgotten you, remember, the scripture says he has you engraven in the palms of his hands. All he has to do is look at nail prints and say, Jay, Jeff, Liz, Landon. Because he saw you from a cross. And he said, you're worth everything that I have to go through. This is what I have to do to redeem you. The little boy was taught by his father how to build a ship in a bottle. Takes a long time to build a ship in a bottle. And the little boy worked on it for a long, long time. And finally he completed the project. The ship with its mast was in the bottle. And he was so proud of it and he put so much into it. One day he took it down to a river and he let it float on the river. He corked it so that it wouldn't sink, but he put it on the water and watched it spin around a little bit, but the current caught it. It started to take his ship away. And it, the current was faster than he could run and he lost his ship in a bottle. He wept because he had put so much time and so much effort into it and it, and it meant so much to him, but now it was gone. Several months later, his father took him to a trading post, miles downriver. When he got to the trading post and his father began to purchase supplies, he looked up on a shelf. And there on top of that shelf was his ship, ship in a bottle. And he said, sir, that ship up there on your top shelf, that's my ship. I built that. He said, well, son, he said, somebody came in here and they found it and they said that, that they wanted to sell it to me, so I paid for it. I bought that ship in a bottle, so now it belongs to me. And if you want it, you're gonna have to pay for it. He didn't have enough to pay, so he asked his father and his father helped him to pay for it and they took the bottle home. What's the moral of the story? What God created went downstream and he had to redeem it at his own cost, the cost of his life to redeem you back to himself. The cost, the worth of just one soul. I spoke to you recently about Legion and how Jesus left a multitude and put the disciples through a terrible storm in which they thought they'd all drown. And when they got to the shore, what did they find? One soul. 
a demon-possessed, 2,000 demons, a crazy wild man. But Jesus saw what could be done in Legion's life, and he was willing to leave a multitude and put his disciples through a terrible storm, the worth of one soul. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 13 for a minute. Thirteen and forty-four. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure that is hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof go, goeth and selleth all that he hath to buy the field. Now let me let me tell you what I think this means. A man is walking in a field. Maybe he sees the corner of a chest sticking up out of the ground, just a little bit. His curiosity causes him to go over there and scratch around, and sure enough, it's a treasure chest. All kinds of wealth inside of it. So what does he do? He digs it up. He digs a separate hole. He buries it very deep in the same soil where nobody's gonna be able to notice it. He goes to the land office, He makes sure that he's got the right piece of property. And he says, I want to buy this piece of property. And the man says, this is the cost of the property that you want to buy. And the man tallies up all that he has and all that he possesses and says, if I liquidate all of my assets, if I sell everything that I have, I can buy this piece of ground because I know in this ground there's a great treasure So he does. And he gets that treasure. Do you know what that treasure is? It's you. You're the treasure in the field, in the earth. And Jesus liquidated all of his assets and gave his life to purchase your life, your ground. What is the worth of one Soul. He tells another story. Verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. Verse 46, can you put that up? Who when he had found one pearl at great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. So if you're not a farmer, if you know anything about water, I'll give you another illustration of what the worth of one soul is to Jesus. Let me give you just a real short story about pearls so that you understand what Jesus is really talking about here. A pearl is formed inside of an oyster. What happens is one grain of sand is put inside of the orchard. These are cultured pearls. One grain of sand is put in the oyster. Now sand is not the same as dirt. Sand is sharp. Sand, Sand can cut. So that little grain, that insignificant little grain of sand 
is put in the oyster. The oyster is the church. I'm just gonna explain the parable as I go along because I don't want you to miss this. You're the grain of sand. The oyster is the church. You rub people the wrong way when you come into the church with your habits and you don't look the same and act the same and it's a little uncomfortable and people might be a little edgy. But because of the irritation inside of the oyster, the oyster produces what's called nacre. It's acre with an N on the front of it. This is a slimy substance that coats that little grain of sand so that its sharpness doesn't cut the oyster anymore. And the oyster continues to produce this nacre and creates layers upon layers around that little piece of sand. And in approximately one year's time, if all goes well, it becomes a beautiful pearl. The merchantmen will open up the oysters and take the pearls out of the oysters and sell them for value. Now, here's some things about the pearl. The, the pearl comes in many different colors. It's not just white. It can be black, it can be red, it can be any number of colors because God is no respecter of persons and he's colorblind. You see, he's all men the same, all women the same, all children the same. Can I get an amen to that? So God's not a respecter of persons. Aren't you glad? Because you wouldn't be in the church today if he was. I wouldn't be in the church today. Based upon my performance, I know what I deserve. Anybody else agree with that? So the merchant man opens up these oysters and he takes the pearl out and he looks it over. If he finds any flaws in the pearl, he has to peel the layers off one at a time with a sharp cutting tool. He doesn't just dig into it. He's very delicate and he has a very sharp tool and he can only cut one layer at a time and he peels it off kind of like an onion with many layers and he peels off one layer at a time until he gets to the blemish. Once the blemish is off, he washes the pearl and he puts it back inside of the oyster for the oyster to continue to grow the pearl again. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about today? Because we all have flaws. And so if you're feeling the knife right now after this prayer and fasting, it's because God's increasing your value. He's growing a precious pearl inside of his oyster. And he will be back to open up the oyster to check on the pearl and he will redeem it no matter how much it costs. Did you see it? The cost didn't matter to him. He bought it. He sold everything he had to buy one pearl. Not a string of pearls. You gotta get this, folks. He didn't buy a string of pearls. He bought one pearl. He bought one 
treasure. You are the one, and you're worth it. I remember being out with Bob Vick. We went to a restaurant one time. I forget the name of it. Where was that place we had that really good meal? Remember we had that lamb? Yeah, okay. Anyway, it was a really nice place. And it was, I thought it was pretty expensive. I said, well, you know, Brother Vic, I said, I'm sure that what you're saying about this is true. It's really a good meal, but that's pretty expensive. He said, you're worth it. You know what God is saying to you today? You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth what I went through. I see something in you that nobody else sees. They just say, ah, you're insignificant. You're just a piece of sand. But look what the master can do with a grain of sand inside of his oyster. Let me stop here today. The value. Luke 15 and 10. The worth of one sinner. I say unto you, Luke 15, 10, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. What happens when one soul comes to an altar and starts confessing to God what he already knows and says, I want to forsake my sinful past I want to be everything that you want me to be. I'm going to turn my back on sin. There's a party in heaven. The angels and Jesus are, repent, are, are rejoicing over the repentance of one soul. I'd like to have a hundred soul revival, but I'd like to have them one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. Forget about this mega church stuff. How about being the church of the living God and winning one soul at a time? One soul at a time. One soul at a time. And making sure that we're preaching the truth. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God. Above all, through all, and in you all. It's about one, folks. It's about one. Acts 2 and 36 reads this way, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, after repentance, that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, let's, Cause the angels to have a party. Let's preach repentance. Anybody believe in repentance? And be baptized. Watch the wording here. Every one, every one of you. He wasn't preaching to a crowd. He was preaching to a one. Every one. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why would we do that? For the remission of our sins. 
and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, one, your children, those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Because here, listen, 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Not willing that any, not even one, but that all, every one, should come to repentance. Jesus values your soul. You're worth it. Let's stand together. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus, I pray today that during this time that we invite people to an altar, that you would have a face-to-face conversation with each person that comes seeking your face. Not your hand, your face. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.